Please turn with me in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be in the middle part of this chapter this morning. The Corinthian believers were experiencing many serious issues and, and problems within their church because they continued to think and behave like the pagans they were before. They'd become divisive and selfishly devoted to their own individual interests. Their worship services were disorderly and people used their spiritual gifts to promote their own self-interest and prestige, especially the gift of tongues. The Apostle Paul is challenging them to think and live like the Christians that they are, instead of being preoccupied with the ways of their previous pagan spirituality. They'd brought their pagan mindsets into the Christian church, And their behavior proved it. They hadn't yet understood and applied the truth that Paul also wrote later to the Colossian church, that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So how did Paul get their attention in this letter? Well, he's used a simple illustration that every child in here can probably use their imagination better than most of the rest of us. And that illustration emphasized two important truths about us and Christ. First, that every genuine Christian is a part of Christ's body, the church. And the visible and local manifestation of Christ's body is a local church. Second, every genuine Christian has been given at least one spiritual gift to be exercised in a local church for the common good of all those in that local church, not for their own personal enjoyment or or benefit. This means that the local church is not a democracy and certainly not and uh, are categorized by being seen as anarchy in operation. And it belongs, you and I belong to Christ. And those he brings to himself in faith belong to him. And he adds to his body many diverse members. And those members receive various gifts of the Holy Spirit to the benefit of the whole body. If you're able, would you please stand as I read 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, 
so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an ear, I do not belong to the body. Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers... All suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Maybe sit it. This is a beautiful illustration. But as Paul wrote, so it is with Christ. The degree to which we accept this will determine how well our body gets along and whether God uses it in certain ways. In verse 12, Paul wrote, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So he uses something very obvious to teach us something very important about who we are in Christ. What's obvious is that a body is made up of many parts or members. Yet all the parts make up one body. What's important is that the many different parts are all very important to the life of the body. A foot, hand, ear, and eye are each very different from the others. Each one has a different purpose. But all are very important and together are fundamentally united to one another. In verse 13, we see the confirmation that believers are united in Christ's body. For in one spirit, we were all baptized 
into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, in case you're not awake yet, maybe this will help. This is the true baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is it. That so many people misunderstand. And it occurs when? At conversion, not later as a second blessing. Notice when the tense of the verb is we were past tense. Notice who's included. All, implying all the Corinthians who had believed, and Paul, and by extension, any and all who had believed in Christ. The end of the verse is a parallel statement to the beginning, and all were made to drink of one spirit. In the same way, at conversion, all believers are made to drink of the one spirit, which is another way of saying each believer has received the same Holy Spirit. The words here carry the meaning of being saturated with the Spirit of God. Where does that come from? The word baptized, immersed, saturated. So being in Christ also means being in the Spirit. This, bond, this particular bond cannot be broken. In other words, a true believer cannot be separated or severed from Christ. Now, in a local church, which is the visible and local manifestation of Christ's body, the unity of the body can be broken, which is the plight we see here in the Corinthian church. The truth Paul illustrates here in verse 13 about all believers being baptized into the one body of Christ at conversion is how Paul corrects their selfish misunderstanding at putting individuals, members at odds with one another. If they could just get this. They do not think that they truly need one another in this Corinthian church. And it's obvious. They do not think they can live, that, they do think that they can live their Christian lives on their own. But no single member of the body of Christ is or can be the body, which is the picture that we get as we read these verses. Just as no individual Christian is the church. Humbling, yes, it's supposed to be. And at the same time, everybody should see the value of how God has united them to himself in Christ. Paul has established this metaphor of the human body, so now he illustrates it with several analogies in verses 14 through 17. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If you want to look around, it should be a joy. Thank goodness. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? You hear that, kids? Picture the body of Christ as being an eye. It's funny. Nobody can forget this. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? This is how Paul builds his point about the relationship between unity and diversity in the church. Now, simple question, is every member of the body equally important and essential? Every member of the body should be valued and is important. Can the individual members of the body simply decide not to be a part of the body? Or can they decide to exist on their own, independent of the body? Someone wise summed it up this way. A severed limb is a dead limb. A body missing a limb is crippled by its loss. This is serious. Paul knows that the Corinthians' quest for individual notoriety has led to the divisive situation of the members with the more visible or sensational gifts making the ones with the more in the background kind of spiritual gifts feel vastly inferior, unimportant, and not even a part of the body. This would be normal in the world's ungodly value systems, which many of us or you experience maybe on a day-to-day basis, where you live, where you work, who you're around. But this should not be seen in the church ever at all. Remember, the spiritual gifts are not a matter of individual status, power, or position, position, etc., etc. What are they given for? For the common good of all those in that local church. Can you see what Paul's doing? Before he gets to the really uh, simple but straightforward exhortations about what they're doing in their church service, he has to establish this. Because unless they see the design and agree and submit to it, they will continue to be divisive. Where would we be without those who have what it seems to be the more ordinary behind-the-scene gifts? I don't know whether you've ever thought about that, but I guarantee you the people that are responsible to lead can easily take for granted the people who make everything happen when they show up as things are done. But all it takes is for somebody to be gone for a couple of weeks, and what happens? My goodness. Depending on what your gift is, everything's dirty. The lights are off. Nothing's ready. 
oh, there's a whole segment of our congregation that doesn't even know about this. Well, what happened to so-and-so? I think all of you know what we mean here. And you know what? Many prefer to serve under the radar and in a more quiet way. And if they're not around for a while, again, most in the body realize, again, how important and meaningful those gifts of those people really are. The note, the call, the visit, special encouragements. So the serving, the comforting, the encouraging, the benevolence kind of gifts cover a lot of territory. Praying without ceasing, calling, corresponding, visiting the sick and shut-ins, bringing meals and desserts, figuring out a special gift that would encourage somebody, setting up for worship and other gatherings, making coffee, running the sound system, cleaning up, fixing stuff, planning and organizing, meeting with the hurting, providing rides. The list is almost endless. They are not serving to get attention. But because they see a need and take care of it. That's how they serve. These members are indispensable to the body. And if you know you have one of those gifts and you're operating that way, we can't do without you. Verse 17, again, Paul knows how many ways he says this. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? As we've seen, our place in the body of Christ is not up to our status or desire or anything else. It is a matter of God's sovereignty, as verses 18 through 20 make clear. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I don't know if he could explain this any other way. He's done it three or four times here in one passage. Paul goes over this principle so many times and in so many ways because it's so important. But in our day and age, in the culture we live in, this is anathema because everybody is taught to take it to the front. Claim your rights. Make it go the, you want, the way you want to go. Show off when you do something great. Get some acclaim. Seek it. You deserve it. Grab it. That's the world we live in, and yet we are called to be and live in a different way. Verses 21 through 26 he again refers to the structure of the human body to show another aspect of God's wisdom and perfect, 
and purpose for the body of Christ. This is what I hope we really grab onto. You know, in our day where uh, videos and computer-generated everything, we've, we've got lots of these pictures where us older people probably just had to imagine all of this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. I can't say that to anybody in here. Neither can you. Nor again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? The word there is important. Indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, I'll leave it to you to figure out what that's talking probably about, we bestow the greater honor. We go to elaborate means to cover up and make beautiful those coverings. But God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And then the clincher, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. When we go through life together like this, serving our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and giving honor to God above all else, it does hurt when somebody else is hurting. It also brings great joy when we can rejoice together. But we live, again, in a world that says things like, you should never hurt. We run from hurt. We medicate ourselves so we won't hurt. We don't want to feel any pain of our own, much less everybody else's. Is that what God says? No, because he knows what we're going through. He calls us to different paths in our lives so that we can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And we need to help our young ones before they buy the garbage and the lies, we need to help them walk through these things. And we can't help them walk through all of these different strategies in life unless we're willing to go through them together ourselves. We can say when reading this that those who think they can be independent are deluded. They are, so to speak, cutting off their own hands and feet. And that's what happens when we just run with this crowd and we don't want anything to do with this crowd because our crowd is healthy, is sufficiently wealthy, and feeling great, but we don't want to have anything to do with anybody else in the body who's any different. See how that works? The parts that seem weaker are absolutely necessary for the body to function well. You know, we've got quite a list in this body already. If we said, um, okay, we're going to have a contest. Whoever has the most scars wins. And you're thinking, 
there's a lot of people who have a lot of scars, physical scars. And what did those people learn? What did the people learn who didn't have to have the scars but are going through other things? Can we learn from them? Can we encourage them? Can we walk with them? And when they're encouraged and they have a day where some of that has just been, you know, not quite as apparent and hurtful, can we rejoice with them in that time? Yes, we can. We cannot do this if we segregate ourselves so much. You know, that's one of the foundations of this church is that early on, um, way before I came to Amarillo, the, one of the, the really good kind of ideas was that we will be a body that does not segregate itself 24-7 by age. One of the greatest things in the world is for young children to be able to get to know 70, 80, 90-year-old saints. It's beautiful. And if that's true all the way through, up and down with the different ages, we really are learning lessons that we wouldn't learn if we were completely segregated. But again, our society does what? All you have to do is watch something or listen to something. You can tell what group is being targeted. And I'm sorry, but where I am now, there's not many targeting mine. If it is, it's a drug company. We need each other. We need the wisdom. One of my greatest regrets in life is not asking the questions of my parents and grandparents that I should have asked when I was a teenager that I wish I knew about them. How they went through World War I or World War II or whatever it was. How did they live through a time when the greatest amount of people died in a war from flu? How did people walk through those things? And this is in America. And I would encourage you to, to do that. One young man in our church that you probably know will know who I'm talking about. Before he left for college, he went over and had an interview with his grandparent on tape. Not tape. It was probably digital. Why? You know why. And that's a treasure. And we don't do that enough. We can learn back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And we need to. The parts that seem weaker are absolutely necessary for the body to function well. And all you have to do to know that physically is to have one of those parts you didn't even know was in there to go wrong. And then what happens? It affects everything or an infection spreads everywhere. Or you can't move because one part that you took for granted your whole life is now not exactly working like it's supposed to. We've all got those stories, but we need to apply them to the spiritual picture. No belittling or denigrating anyone in this church is allowed for these reasons. And the parts of the body with less honor are given more honor. And those that are more presentable don't need to be given special honor because they're already 
out there. Paul even notes that we treat our physically unpresentable body parts with greater modesty. He did a really good job of saying that modestly. At least our culture should, as a matter of course, understand the contrast that's made because now there is no shame anywhere. His point stands, but as God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Why? Because you didn't decide what gifts you got. You didn't decide who your parents were. I mean, just real. Just take that and go on. You didn't decide what country you are going to be born in, what state you were, what language you have, what color you are, where you work, or anything else. God put you here, and he gifted each one of you who know him with a spiritual gift, at least one. Why? For the common good of your local church, for the other members in this church. So are we growing in our care and concern for one another? Now, what's the next chapter? See the beauty of going through a book of the Bible? He's building up to being able to express in the most beautiful words in Scripture, besides maybe some of the Psalms and other poetic places, a chapter that everybody in this country knows about, even if they're not a believer. 1 Corinthians 13, where he describes what true love is. And he's working up to that. It's not just some pithy thing we read at a wedding. This is, should be the heart and soul of who we are. There's one particular way that we can somewhat gauge how well we are applying this to our own thinking and to our own situations. So let me ask this question. Verse 26, does verse 26 so resonate in our hearts and souls that we immediately recognize it as a perfect picture of the pulse of this little church? Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I personally have enjoyed this togetherness with just what's gone on in my life here. And I think many of you feel the same way with yours. The point is, knowing us will become comfortable with that, way too comfortable with it, think we're more high and mighty than we really are, and we'll take it for granted. We just need to guard against that. And the way to do that is to humbly worship our Lord and Savior together. If we humble ourselves before him, that's what he does. He makes us more like his son. 
the more we become like Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit in us through the power of his word, the more that we are able to enjoy these kind of blessings. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come before you in this passage that so well illustrates uh, who we are in Christ, how we need each other. It also points up the negatives that how easy we take for granted each other, but not if we submit to your calling on our lives and not if we bow down before you and want your glory to be known, your name to be lifted up. Then we see the body functioning better and better, not without any pain or sorrow or hurt, but when those times come for folks, we can suffer all together in a way of that only you can can translate that into looking to you and being comforted because of your grace and who you are and your calling upon our lives. And then if one of our members is honored, we all rejoice and are, and are genuinely happy, joyful for what you have done in their lives and how you've encouraged us all through them and what you've called for their life. Oh God, in many ways, we just need to say, your will be done. And we've got to be okay with submitting to how you've called us and how you gifted us so that we can know the joy of being united to Christ in a body of Christ. Thank you for passages like this that remind us of what our lives are really supposed to be all about. And Lord, we pray that you would work, continue to work mightily within each of us. That our minds and hearts may be united in knowing Christ, hungering for your word, so that we can be encouragements to one another and build up one another, equipping one another for the work that you've called us for. And we just ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand for our benediction? And for those of you who are keeping track, Today's early dismissal makes up for last week's. <laughs> if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And then Paul ends this by saying, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.